Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Two things about today's sermon. God took it in a different direction than I expected as of this morning. So this morning, I, I usually get up and I spend about an hour or two going over last-minute things with the message, just firming some things up, making it a little bit smoother. But this morning, God uh, changed a lot of it. And so I'm reading from a variety of different scriptures, but I don't have them typed out. So what I would encourage you is to try to, you can, you can look up the different passages as we're going if you want to. You can try to keep up if you want to. Or you can just listen, and you can also, you know, you can re-listen later on our podcast or watch it again on the Facebook uh, video. It might be good just to listen, though. The second thing is, this is probably going to be a little bit shorter than typical, I think, unless God surprises me again. But um, that's good because we have, a, we have a pretty full house today. We have a lot of extra babies and enjoy that, because next week we're diving into a new series. And I was going to do the book of Hebrews, and I started reading about Hebrews, and I thought, I'm not ready to do Hebrews. So we're going to do James. So if you want to start reading ahead, we're going to talk about the book of James, which is another very, very fascinating. Um, it's a book that there's been a lot of debate around it, and I'm excited to jump into it. So the scene is Moses is standing at the foot of Mount Sinai. And he's, he's with a couple hundred thousand of his closest friends, several hundred thousand of his closest friends. And he's just come down from the mountain, and God gave him the law. He gave him the Ten Commandments, or the, it's actually called the Ten Words in Hebrew. And he comes down from the mountain, and before he gets down from the mountain, the people had already broken the commandments. So at the foot of the mountain... God disciplines the Israelites for breaking the commandments. And then he, he has a couple things for Moses to, to do. They need to build a tabernacle. And he needs to give them the commandments again. And then God says, go. I want you to leave here. And I want you to go to this land that I have promised to give you. Where you will settle. That will be where your nation grows and prospers. And Moses says, well, I know you know me, but I don't know you. Could you show me yourself? Can I see you? Can I see your glory? And God says, you can't handle my glory. If you looked at my face, you wouldn't be able to live. If you saw my glory in all of its glory, you wouldn't survive that. But here's what you can do. There's a cleft in the rock. You go stand in the rock. I'll cover it up. I'll pass by. And as, when I'm done, when I'm passed by, you can see me walking away. You can hand, I'll let you handle that. So this is a way that God is revealing himself to a human being. So the first things that he reveals about himself are really, really, really important. Remember, God is about to take this man, Moses, who had been humbled and broken, who, who had lived in Egypt with his people who were enslaved to the Egyptians, and he had his own ideas of how he was going to save his people. 
It was a form of self-exaltation. He had a, his own idea how he was going to be savior of his people who were living in bondage to slavery. And God had other ideas. So Moses ended up leaving Egypt and living in the desert, living in the wilderness for 40 years. And now, when that dream of him saving his people had probably died, God showed up and told him, you're going to lead your people but you're going to do it my way, with my strength and with my power and signs from me and not your way. So Moses was a little bit unsure of himself and he wanted to know God's character before he, you know, he'd already, God had already rescued him, but for some reason it wasn't enough. He wanted to know God's character. So God reveals his character to Moses and this is Exodus 34, 6 through 7. Again, you can try to keep up if you want to, if you have your Bible, your Bible on phone, or you can just listen, and you can re-listen for the verses, the passages, the references later if you'd like. This is God revealing himself to Moses. The first thing he lets Moses know about himself is the most important. Exodus 34, 6 through 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. In other words, they weren't able to, they weren't able to do it. God did it for them. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So in other words, there's still consequences of sin. Sin has its own built-in consequences. The first thing God wanted Moses to know about himself is that he is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Why is that important? Because Moses needed to know that a loving and compassionate and all-powerful God was the one who committed to being with him. Because Moses had gotten to a place in his life in the desert where he didn't trust in his own strength, his own wisdom, his own leadership abilities, and he wanted to know that God was kind and for him, not going to abandon him, that God loved him. And why is that important for us? Because the story of the life of Moses, like the story of the book of Esther, is that of a merciful and gracious, good, kind God who chooses to be with his people, guiding and empowering them. We're wrapping up the book of Esther today, and as we've learned, a major theme in the book of Esther is God's providence. It's God's providence. And as we've learned... Providence is God's invisible hand guiding and directing the events of life in order to bring about his desired end. Now, here's a, here's a statement about providence um, that kind of, it gives a little bit more of the, the purpose and the reason for providence. And it's this, God is with his people providing, protecting and bestowing honor on them, all for the sake of a life lived in absolute wonder of the glory of his grace. 
That's a little bit fuller understanding of, of God's providence, his being in charge of everything that happens in life. It gives us a little bit of the reason why. I'll read it again. God is with his people, providing, protecting, and bestowing honor on them, all for the sake of a life lived in absolute wonder of the glory of his grace. The end, the goal of your life is that you become more and more empowered and amazed at the wonder of God's grace that is central, that is a central purpose of his providence. But that little phrase, bestowing honor on them, that's tough for some of us to hear. That's a little bit confusing. It's a little bit weird. Because why would God bestow honor on us? But I want you to consider that Mordecai in the book of Esther, if you've, if you've listened to the first few messages, if you haven't, again, you can go back and listen to those on the podcast. But I want you to consider that Mordecai, not only was his life spared, this is a man who was trying to walk faithfully with God, not only was Mordecai's life spared, he was actually elevated to second in command. God bestowed honor on him. The last sentence in the book of Esther for Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus. God is the one who made Mordecai's life significant. Mordecai wasn't looking for that. He was looking to remain faithful moment by moment to his God. And as he did that, God is the one who made his life significant. That takes a lot of pressure off us. That's what we're going to be unpacking. Now, do you remember how Mordecai started the story? Does anybody remember? He started the story as a prisoner of war. This is Esther 2, 5 and 6. Now, there was a Jew in Susa the citadel whose name was Mordecai, fast forward, who had been carried away from Jer Jerusalem among the captives. He was a captive. He was a prisoner of war. We're introduced to Mordecai as a prisoner. We end several chapters later because God was with him, with Mordecai second in command. Through God's providential guidance, he bestows honor upon his people who are faithful to him even in difficult situations. Now, can you think of anybody else can you think of anybody else in the Old Testament who God takes from being a literal prisoner to being second in command of a nation? Does anybody else come to mind? What about the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis? Joseph was not a great brother for a while. He, he talked too much. He revealed his cards too early. And his brothers were really annoyed at him, and probably rightly so. So he was a person who, was, when he was young, was betrayed by his brothers, at first put in a pit to be left for dead, and then they decided to sell him into slavery. He was falsely accused by the captain's wife of Pharaoh's army. He was thrown in prison and forgotten about. And when there's opportunity for someone to get him out of prison and give him credit for something that he did, he was forgotten about. He was left in prison. Now, anybody else, apart from God intervening, that's a pretty hopeless situation. But 
Even though Joseph did a stretch, he had one thing going for him, and that is God was with him. That's the one thing he had going for him. Genesis 39, 2-3 says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So his master's like, everything you do is working. Everything you do, it's, you got like this Midas touch. It just all works. And he noticed the reason why it works is because your God is with you. So he's, he's in prison for a while. Where does he land? Ex- Genesis 41, 39 and 40 says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, all of a sudden he's around Pharaoh, the leader of the Egyptians. Pharaoh says to him, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh just told him, nobody's going to be greater than, in you, than you in this land except for me. He went from a prison to second in command for one reason. God was with him. Same as Mordecai. And we see this pattern throughout all of Scripture where God is taking humble people in humble circumstances and exalting them to a place of honor. Now, for those of us who have legalistic or religious ears, that might be hard to hear that God exalts us, but your problem is not with me, your problem is with Scripture. Because Scripture teaches that God will honor and exalt us in His time, in His way, as we live in humble submission to Him. Because as God honors and exalts us and gives our life spiritual gravity, he receives more glory and honor because we are like small mirrors reflecting his glory. Now, a couple passages that I really enjoy that talk about God honoring and exalting and bestowing favor and honor on us is one you've heard before, Psalm 8411. Psalm 8411 is one of those verses, I go to it all the time, and if you really believe this, it would change your life. It says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And again, the problem with being a Christian, the hard part about being a Christian is taking these texts as God speaks them through you, through the ever-present voice of Jesus. That's what the Bible is. When God speaks to you through his texts, he creates that reality in your life. And our job is to saturate our thinking with biblical text. I think Kevin Van Hooser said, the Bible is a habitable text. You know what that means? It means you can live in the reality of it. The Bible is not like any other word. It's not like any other book that when it speaks, the force of God isn't behind the words. When the Bible speaks and you have ears to hear, and you're listening, the force of God himself through the Holy Spirit inhabits those words in a way that get inside of you and change you and transform you. 
so that when you read a verse like this, it's, it's lifted off of the page. It goes from your eardrums into your heart as you pray it, as you ask God to make it real. The Bible is a habitable text, and it will change you if you're open to it, if you're in it, if you're saturated with its words. Listen again. And God, make it real to us. Transform us with this truth. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. There are two possible ways to live, my friends. You can live a life of constantly attempting to exalt yourself or you can live a life in humble, moment-to-moment -moment submission to the Lord, allowing him to exalt your life. Those are your options. You can exhaust yourself by constantly giving everyone your resume. Trying to exalt yourself. Trying to glorify yourself to the world around you. Or you can live moment to moment a quiet life serving others in submission to God and his goodness. Submitting your life to Christ once and for all and then a million different times for the rest of your life. Saying, you are my Lord, you are my King, you are my Savior. My life is not my own. I was bought at a price. I'm yours. You can live that way and God will exalt you. And you don't have to worry about it. Application. This is, a, this is a sentence from a man named Morgan Snyder. The application is take the lowest seat at the table until God makes it impossible for you to do so. That's humility. Take the lowest seat at the table until God makes it impossible for you to do so. In Luke chapter 14, verses 8 through 10, Jesus gives a parable, a teaching to his disciples that embodies this posture. I'm going to read it for you. Jesus said, and now, now Jesus is speaking to you today too, because he's speaking through the disciples, he's speaking through and beyond the disciples, through and beyond the text to you today. If you are part of this kingdom, Jesus is talking to you personally, directly today. And remember, the world's way is I'm going to exalt myself, whatever it takes. God's way is humble yourself, take the lowest seat at the table, and let me move you up. Let me put you in the place of honor. Here's what Jesus says to you, to us. When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in a place of honor. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at a table with you. Here it is. Here it is again. This is Jesus talking now. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted 
This means that when other people are all talking over themselves in a room vying for power, you don't have to. This means you don't have to constantly give people your verbal resume. This means you don't have to volunteer yourself for a more prominent role. As a pastor, this means I don't have to frantically try to build a platform or try to make a name for myself. This means you can focus on a life of quietly serving others, knowing that in God's way and in God's time, he will exalt you. There are your two options. You can exalt yourself and be humbled by God, or you can humble yourself and be exalted by God. There isn't a third option. There isn't, well, can I kind of like sort of exalt myself and then maybe God will come in and help exalt me and amplify my, my self-exaltation? You humble yourself and you serve the person in front of you and you live a quiet life without trying to vie for power in every room. You let other people do that. You stand quietly in the corner and you serve and love the person in front of you as an act of obedience to God, and you let him move you up however he wants to. That's what the Bible says. The book of Esther gives us a shining example of that truth in the two main characters, Esther and Mordecai. Both lived out humble, brave, courageous, moment-to-moment submission to God, and both were exalted by God. Take the lowest seat at the table until God makes it impossible for you to do so. Now, if you're, if you're looking for a practical way to exercise this, to step out of the crazy cycle of trying of self-exaltation, one of the things that you can do is practice silence. There's a couple different types of silence. The silence I'm talking about today is literally not speaking. This is, a, this is an ages-old spiritual discipline that most people don't like today, most people don't do today, because you know, we can't imagine a conversation without our voice in it. If you started to exercise silence, you would realize how much of your speech goes towards exalting yourself, putting yourself at the center of the attention. Our shepherd team retreat a few weeks ago, one of the things that we did for every meal we had people pick, um, draw a couple names, and the, the names that were drawn had to be silent for the, for the meal. And we felt a little bit of the effects doing that, but it was just for a meal. It was like a half an hour. But if that's something that you decide to practice, say, as a family, just this week from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., I'm just going to be silent. You're going to, first of all, you're gonna, if you're talkative, you're going to see that a lot of other people are getting involved in the conversation, which is a beautiful and a good thing. You're making space. You're creating space for them. But you're also going to see there's moments in that conversation where I had something, you know, funny to say, and it killed me that I couldn't put myself at the center of that conversation. That just killed me. Or I had something that I could say that was really wise, or I had the answer to the question that they had. I had, you know, I could deepen, I could spirit, add spiritual depth to this conversation. God, if you just let me speak, this would be really good for everybody if you just let me talk. Or I'm an expert in this situation. We find all sorts of ways to exalt ourselves through speech. And James, the book that we're going to get into, has a lot to say about 
what we talk about, about controlling the tongue. And when you practice silence, you learn that you don't have to be at the center of attention. You don't have to exalt yourself. Just because you know the answer to something doesn't mean you have to say it. You don't always have to have the last word. And that will kill you in this culture because everyone fights for the last word. Just go to Facebook or go to Twitter. You know what I mean. Silence is a way to practice a non-self-exalting life. And finally, if the goal of our lives is to be conformed more and more into the image of Jesus, do we see this pattern in his life? Why don't you stand up with me? And I'm going to ask the the music team to make their way down to the front. And I'm going to read you a passage It's a familiar passage. Some of you already know what passage I'm going to read about Jesus living a life where he humbles himself so that other people are exalted or so that he, so God can exalt himself. And in so doing, Jesus exalts us as we live a life of humble submission to him. But we need to see this pattern in Jesus's life because our purpose for living is conforming to the image of Christ. So did God exalt, did the Father exalt Christ because he humbled himself? That's the question. If that's the case, we have no excuse. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? And I'm going to end with reading this and then we're going to sing. This is Philippians 2, 3, and 11. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.